chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Please follow in the reading of the word of the Lord. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betroth you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpents deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit with which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. Father, help us to see what a servant's loyalty is. And Father, may each of us here be found loyal. Lord, help us to embrace this Father, help us to discern this. Help us to walk in this to your glory and praise. Amen. We are looking at a servant's loyalty. It is the most urgent thing that we can ever deal with. I can show you throughout the 66 books of Scripture what happens when you become disloyal. If you think about Solomon and King David, everybody, you look at the contrast of it and let's be realistic. David was not what we'd classify the most eminent saint. He had some issues, character flaws. Okay. And yet we look at Solomon, his son, who was considered the wisest man to walk on the planet. Yet you contrast them and you see that David's heart was for the Lord and Solomon's wasn't. And he, actually all of his wives helped turn his heart away. But, you know, and they always say, well, see, he just didn't have a heart for the Lord. Well, that is part of the issue. Okay, but if you really look at it, King Solomon led to idolatry. David never did. That's what the loyalty to God is. And and, and it's easy for us to have idolatrous hearts. All right, because an idolatrous heart now has mixed loyalties. You cannot serve two masters. Why? You will not be loyal to both. And one of the things that I watch in the body of Christ over the years that I've been a pastor here, but what I have seen throughout the history of the church, there comes times when the churches, for whatever reason, their loyalty shifts. Listen, you just don't wake up tomorrow morning and say, today I shall be disloyal to Christ. It's a very gradual, deceptive move that all of a sudden you wake up in a place that you don't know how you got there. And I want to show you this, okay, because I, I look at King David... He was a murderer and an adulterer, okay? But he had a heart after God, all right? Now, I can look at King Solomon and say, okay, this is the wisest man. And you got how many wives? (laughs) No, never mind. (laughs) But (laughs) that's not the brightest bulb in the package there, okay? But what happened is, is that they swayed his heart. Now think about that. Your wife sway your heart from the Lord? Oh, sure. Very easily. But I want to show you something that Solomon wrote. Okay? Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? Now listen, you look at the disaster of Israel and the foundation was founded on who? Solomon. And this is after God blessed. All of their enemies were destroyed. They were richer than any nation on the planet. They built the temple. And Solomon walked away. Okay, what difference 
in that picture is there in the American church today? Okay. I, how, now listen, does anybody here deal with people who just aren't faithful to church, but they're Christians? Ask yourself a question. How do you do that? How can I say I am loyal to Jesus Christ, but not his body? How do you do that? But you know what? Think about it. Are there not more who are that way than there are those who are loyal? But it's not new. I look at the church in Corinth that we're dealing with. Isn't that what they're dealing with? Now, how important is this? Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. The prophet speaking to Israel. Israel, as is always, has turned her back on her Lord. And Hosea comes forth and he has a problem with his wife. And, and the, the problem with his wife is, is that she is a living illustration of the harlotry that Israel is doing. And Hosea is a prophet and technically he should have stoned her. But God says, no, buy her back. And is that not God's relationship to Israel? So here's what it says. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. Do you understand what it just said there? I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. That's amazing to me because I have been around long enough to see this, that this is what God's delight is, is our loyalty. He isn't looking for your sinless perfection. He is looking for loyalty. I read my Bible every day because of my loyalty to who it is. If you look at the highest terms of loyalty, what is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Basically, with all of your essence. Love the Lord your God. Total devotion to God. Okay, do you understand what I just said? It's not to your children. It's not to your education. It's not to your job. It's not even to your spouse. It is to, to God. And you know what? I've learned if you do that, the rest of it takes care of itself. But when you get into trouble or I get into trouble, it's because I'm trying to be loyal to anything I can lay my hands on, really. No matter what the price, what is your uncompromising love to the Lord God? Linsky said it is a, quote, a virtue of the greatest honor, unquote. Okay, the Corinthians were moving to disloyalty. Paul was very much aware of this. He had seen it and he knew what its consequences were. And he had a great love a passionate love for the Corinthian believers and was trying to bring them back because he understood that this disloyalty is probably one of the most serious and deepest problems that exist in the body of Christ, even this day. Even this day. This disloyalty is the reason that Second Corinthians was written. I mean, he starts off on it and tend to the conclusion after he's talked about the restoration of the relationship, after he was tickled to death that they had received a severe letter and had come back. Okay, why? Because once the disloyalty cracks in, okay, all it needs is just a little spot. Okay, once that ends, then false teaching comes. Okay, bet on it. Bet on it. Because you have... Literally, disloyalty to the Lord God gives you no discernment. And when you have no discernment, then you will be looking for personal satisfaction, personal gratification. Okay? The false had trying to discredit Paul, his integrity, his character. Why? If I can make you distrust the teacher, what are you going to do with his teaching? It's a common thing that goes on all of the time. 
It started off with the simple phrase, surely you won't die. But the foundation was so strong, it says, even if I touch it, I will die. No, you're wrong. If you eat of it, you will die. But he already saw, there's the crack. There's the crack. We are fighting against spiritual warfare. We are fighting for the minds of men and women. We are fighting against speculations and lofty things that have been raised up against the true knowledge of Christ. And you know what happens? Some listen. Some listen. I remember a kid years ago was in this fellowship and he's very, uh, how shall I say this, intellectual. And he was always trying to come up with the $20 question. And I know what the problem was. You're not believing the simplicity of the gospel. So he came to me one day, and you could tell he was quite proud of himself because he knew he had the question. Okay, but what was it? Speculation. Here's what he asked me. Had Israel received Jesus Christ as king, as Messiah, Would he have set up the millennial kingdom then, the thousand-year kingdom? And I said, no. And he says, why not? I said, because then God would have been a liar. Okay? It was pure speculation. It was a waste of gray matter. Okay? They come with these, listen to what I have to say. And, you know, this book is 2,000 years old. You ain't going to find something that nobody else has found. You may think you have, but there's nothing new here. People will listen to this. Oh, my. Listen. Listen. (laughs) I remember one time I was at a conference that Dr. Olford was teaching at. And they had a bunch of seminary kids there. Love them guys. Uh, Okay. And so the seminary guy, he was doing question and answers. Dr. Olford was answering. And I'll never forget it because the seminary guy, he raises his hand and he says, Dr. Olford, where did sin come from? And Stephen looks at him for a minute in his little Welsh accent and says, none of your business. And the guy's like, what? He says, had God wanted us to know that, he would have given us the information. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, ask him something else. <laughs> but I see this a lot. He's like, Look at this question that I've got. Paul was in the process of reaffirming his apostleship. He wanted his integrity back because he wanted them to understand that what he was giving them was the words of God. You know, if you go back to the... Four Gospels, you'll see several listings of the disciples. Okay? And what's fascinating about the listing, you list them out by names. Okay? Go back and look at it. Check it out. Always in the same order. And if you look at it, the ones named first are the ones who are closest to Christ. But they also are the ones in the greatest danger. But that whole circle, and when they list those disciples out, the twelve... They're in the same order, and you can see in the order of the ones listed first were the ones who were closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the closer you are to the Lord Jesus Christ, the bigger the bullseye. Okay? That's what it's all about, people. Why? The ones who are closer have the greatest loyalty to the Lord, but they have the greatest potential of disaster. The Corinthian church, who was their founder? Paul, they were probably doctrinally deficient, weren't they? They knew, they saw, they heard. And yet when he had left, they come in and said, well, but he teaches grace because he was wanting favors. Oh, maybe that's true. And you have to do a few things. And if you don't do these things, God's not going to be happy. And yet, what did I just read to you in Hosea? I want loyalty. I want loyalty. 
in our text. If the church is seduced away from truth, what happens to their witness? What happens to their power? It's all gone. There's nothing there anymore. Why? You have the manipulation of men. The, the buzzword that I love right now. Creativity. You ever see, I don't know, some of you guys ain't been to rock concerts. In eternity past I was. And they have these smoke machines. You ever seen them? You guys are going to bad places. No. <laughs> anyway, they've got these smoke machines. They use those in churches now. And I'm like, what is that for? Okay, I didn't understand what it was in a rock concert. Dude's on fire. Chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, verse 19. All this time, you have been thinking that we are not defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all of your upbuilding, beloved. What have I been doing? Paul saying, I'm not here defending myself. I am strengthening you. I'm edifying you. I am teaching you. Why? Because I don't want to see your power gone. I don't want to see your witness gone. And I don't want to see you fall to false teaching to deceptive people, seducing Spirits. If false teachers, you will be edified? Really? How does a false teacher strengthen a person? They can't. It's impossible. You must have loyalty. You must have loyalty to God. You must have loyalty to Christ. You must have loyalty to the gospel. And you must have loyalty to the truth. And you must stand in it. Verse 5 in chapter 11, we looked at this last week. I consider myself not the least inferior to the, and it says the New American Standard calls the most eminent apostle. It literally means the extra super apostles. You know, the ones that have the big A, red A on their chest with the blue t-shirt. Those apostles. The ones who have the higher knowledge. The ones who have conclusions that you didn't know if there were answers to or not. Those ones, you know, those ones. But look what he says in verse six on truth. Even if I'm unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. This is amazing text. He's saying, you know, this, you know, this. In fact, you know, this. Why? I am not the least inferior to these guys. Remember, I have more sufferings than these. False teachers don't like suffering. Okay? I've got way more than they've got. False teachers, have they been to heaven and back? I have. I studied with Jesus in the desert for three years. And what knowledge do they have that is greater than mine? And yet, the whole time, Paul hates dealing with this. And the reason is, is that he should not have to defend himself to the Corinthians. The Corinthians should be commending Paul. Chapter 10, verse 10, they, this is one of the accusations against the Apostle Paul. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. He makes the statement. He says, you know what? I am unskilled in speech. I am not into rhetoric. I am not a gifted, smooth, eloquent speaker. They attack the Apostle Paul because he didn't have clever phrases. But yet, what about his knowledge? You know what? He did not immerse himself in the Greek philosophies. That was the big thing. That's where the great thinkers were. You know, the ones who can come up with speculations. The ones who can come up with lofty ideas that come from the pit of hell. He did not have oratory abilities. You know, it's common for the professors of rhetoric in the Greek culture. You know what they used to do? They would go down to the river and they would take a handful of pebbles. Okay, this, this is 
truth. And they'd stick them in their mouth and learn to articulate words with a mouthful of pebbles so that they would pronunciate correctly. Paul says, I ain't putting a mouthful of rocks in my mouth. I ain't going to do it. All right? I see in a class in, in a seminary, I won't mention it, where they have a semester. You know what a semester is, right? It's a semester class for seminary. Okay, now you know what seminary is, right? You're supposed to be learning theology. They had a semester class, mandatory. You know what it was? How to properly use a microphone. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Listen, you go today and you look around at churches and tell me how many are fans of the polished speaker. Tell me. And that's what the Apostle Paul is fighting against right here. No, I'm not a skillful speaker. And Paul understood that. He acknowledges it. Okay, if you look at the text, I'm unskilled in speech. The word unskilled there is a fascinating Greek word. I kind of, I just kind of stumbled on it. I just looked at it and said, well, it's unskilled in speech. Speech means public talking. Okay, all right, I understand that. But what is unskilled? So I read unskilled. It is the word idias. Do you know what word we get from idias? It sort of sounds like something we've heard before, doesn't it? Paul says, I'm an idiot as an orator. Okay, I'm untrained. I'm an amateur. I am common. I am ordinary. I am unrefined. Paul wasn't an orator, but you know what he was? He was clear. Okay, he he was profound. Okay, but he was not refined in his speaking. Okay, it's it's funny. They've got a website. They've got, got several. I've only stumbled onto one. And no, I'm not looking for a job, but it's for um, churches that are looking for pastors. Okay, and it's fascinating for me to go look at these because you can get on these websites and the churches will tell you this is what we're looking for in a pastor. And it's really amazing to me. None of it ever speaks of theology. They don't even ask you, have you ever read your Bible? Do you even own a Bible? I mean, that's where I would start. I, I remember Stephanie and I were looking at one. They were looking for an administrative pastor, and I still don't know what that is, but they had a list of things they wanted. They wanted a, a master's in business and accounting and this. And you know what's fifth on the line? A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, I would have kind of wanted that in the first five. I mean, all five of them. Personal relationship with Christ. Christ, Christ, Christ. Okay? But you know what's fascinating about every church that I've looked at? that has looked at? They want a copy of a sermon. An audio of one of your sermons. Why is that? They want to hear what you sound like. I love history. You guys know that? One of my favorite people of ever was General Patton. It wasn't hard to figure out where Patton stood. Okay, I mean, he didn't didn't beat around the bush. I mean, you kind of... And he was, I don't know, a man's man, whatever. Uh, and, and he's fascinating. I mean, the guy was brilliant, if you think about it. He was, yes, he was bombastic. But you have you ever heard him, uh, an audio of him speaking? It'll freak you out. You get this little high voice. And you're like, that's General Patton? And I'm like, no wonder he was bombastic and arrogant. If I sounded like that, I don't want to hang following him across an old river. But that's what his voice sounded like. It sounded like a little chipmunk. Hey, And you're like, wow, <laughs> that's General Patton. If you had to have a copy of his voice become general, this guy wouldn't have got out of private. But see what we do. That's what we do. What do they sound like? Paul is adamant about this because he doesn't. Paul wasn't in this for technique. 
He didn't consider and concern himself with technique. What he wanted, what his concern, what his passion was, was truth. Only truth and the clarity of that truth. That is all that mattered to the Apostle Paul. And you know what? If you read his letters and you're honest to his letters, you will find that the simpler the truth, the better. Because I read some of his texts. Some of his stuff is lofty. Peter says it. You know, some of his stuff is hard to, hard to get a hold of. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know what? When you read a text that says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Is that hard to understand? You may not like it. Okay, who are you, Clay, to tell the potter? Okay, I mean, do you really, you, you kind of get the picture there? Yeah, it ain't about you. Listen, I have had people call me simple, simple-minded and things like that. It was never done in a uh, affirming action, to be honest with you. Okay, and you know what? I try to be. Because you know what? I have seen and I have heard verbiage. Okay, and it's a waste of good air. Okay, my grandfather taught me a long time ago, better to be quiet and thought stupid than open your mouth and remove all doubt. Okay, and there are some people who can talk for days for no reason. I remember a kid that when I first got saved, he would pray for our Sunday school class. And when he was asked to pray to open our Sunday school class, I dreaded it. Because he would just take off. And then they pray for the mission and Bob and Frank and tell and you lost it and my car and this and there's an air pressure this and that and just goes on and on and on and on. And I'm sitting there going, really? Okay. And he could go on and on and on. And then he would accentuate some of it. And we're going, and you're like, oh my goodness, dude. Okay. Why? Because it is verbiage. Listen. There are difficult things in Scripture. I agree. There's not as much difficult in there as you think it is. Okay? And when I find something difficult, I try to simplify it. I remember a guy one time wanted to sit down and says, um, I need to know where you stand on your eschatology in times. And I said, well, you know, I took six years to get my eschatology down. He said, six years? I said, well, you got Revelations and First Thessalonians and Matthew 25 and Ezekiel and Isaiah and, and, and a few other odds and ends that you better have a handle. Don't forget Daniel. And, and okay, you got it. And I, he says, well, can you simplify it? And I said, yes, Romans 8.1. <laughs> well, how does that work? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he says, well, it's got to be more complicated than that. And I said, you got four years? <laughs> You can either read Romans 8.1 or we can sit down and start going through Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all these other guys who didn't really have the full picture and I'll just go with Romans 8.1. Okay? Now, is that simple? Yeah, actually it is. Okay? Listen, there are difficult things that you try to articulate to people and I understand that. But I am as Paul. I believe that the truth of the power of the Holy Spirit will do his job. And I just need to make it simple. I do not believe, as the Apostle Paul, that a man's oratory plays a role in it. I don't. One of the most powerful messages I heard was from a man who had been deaf all of his life. Do you ever listen to a person who's deaf who tries to talk? And it was one of the most powerful messages I have ever heard. Because when I see oratory skills, I know that he's dealing with human eloquence. Paul knows that he is an unskilled in his speech and he's not interested in putting a bunch of pebbles in his mouth so he can articulate. I've had people walk out on me and say, well, you keep ending everything in a participle. And I just look at him and say, what's a participle? Because it will basically come down to theatrics. It will come down to manipulation of crowds. And Paul understood this. You and I had better understand this. People, when you look at human eloquence, it will draw people to what? The preacher. 
not the cross. Faithful preaching results not in people admiring the preacher, but men admiring the Christ of the preacher. You got that? Paul wasn't worried about making a reputation as a powerful speaker. He did want to establish a relationship between the people and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his passion. I can take you back a few years. First Corinthians. You guys remember when we studied First Corinthians? When that eternity passed? Chapter 1. Beginning of verse 17. He's dealing with a very arrogant church. The Corinthians. Okay, what's he say here? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would be made void. People are running around and say, Paul baptized me. I didn't come to baptize. I come to preach Christ. I didn't do it in cleverness. I didn't do it with anything cute. I didn't do it for cultural relevance. relevance. I just wanted to speak the power of God and the authority of Scripture. The cross of Christ. And if I get too clever, then what happens to the cross? It becomes void. Listen, there are too many in the body of Christ right now who are drawn to the preacher. That is cleverness. That is oratory. That draws people. Okay, but you know what? That is not truth. That is not truth. I, I, I heard a person tell me, he says, well, I love my church. My pastor's the greatest. He's not real deep, but he's the greatest. What in the world is that? You know, and I know the pastor. He goes out on Friday. He's not allowed to be contacted on Friday. He tells his congregation, I will not take a call on Friday. That's when I get my messages. That's when God delivers. And everybody's like, yeah, I seen him playing golf. I wasn't getting a message out there. I was having my faith tested. But I wasn't getting no message out there. And I asked him about it. What message you get on the 18th? Because he knew what I was saying. Verse 18 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. Okay, did you see what just happened there? If you are hooked to the preacher, then you must be perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written... Okay, this is God's philosophy, not Greek philosophy. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of the world? It's foolishness. Why? For those who are perishing, the cross is too simple. It's plain. It's bland. It's foolishness. Those who are being saved, it is the power of God. We could proclaim this in a clear, simple, straightforward gospel. Not much of an intellect needed for it. Why? You're going to hell. God is the only way to be saved. And He redeemed you. And if you don't want it, then you pay the penalty of your sin for eternity. Got it? You know, we got classes on how to share the gospel. What? If you're saved, you know how to share the gospel. If you're not saved, then it's probably foolishness. Proclaim it clear. Proclaim it simple. But proclaim it straightforward. Why? How much intellectual pride is in the church today? How much? I... I don't even know how to describe it. You know why I don't buy into what the world sells? Verse 21. Since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom, did not come to know God. Do you get that? 
The wisdom of the world is foolish. The world's wisdom cannot lead anyone to God. I don't care how you dress it up. I don't care what you call it. I don't care what you, I don't care how clever you are. You can't get to God through the world's wisdom. It's impossible. Why? If it's not impossible, then that verse is a lie. The wisdom of the world can only lead to hell. But it's really cool because it makes you think you're going to heaven. The way to come to God is through the foolishness of preaching. And let me tell you something. It is not through the messenger. It is through the message. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Gentiles, foolishness to those who are being called both Jews and Greek is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We preach a simple message for consider your calling, brethren, verse 26, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. On over 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. The base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. It's that simple. It is that simple. Why do I do what I do? Right there. I just read it to you. I'm not a public speaker. I'm not eloquent in speech. Okay? And I end a lot of things in participles. Okay? And I can run with Paul on run-on sentences. Simple preacher confronts a massive, worldly-wise, philosophical, intellectually arrogant, boastful pride of man. That's what God's wisdom does. And you know what? Paul uses the terminology in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians to smash fortresses, obliterate them. And the fortresses are described. Speculations and lofty things raised up against it. The weak, the humble, the simple, not many noble, not many mighty. I will take the foolish and the weak. I will take the debased. I will take the least practical and use them. Proclaiming a gospel that smashes down satanic fortresses of lies. We shame those things that the strong are fortified in. Verse 29, no man can boast. Why? God is glorified. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. When we came to you, brother, we did not come in superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Um, I got to hear Dr. Olford again. They got him on DVD. And he gave some of his testimonies of the power of the gospel yesterday. Uh, that what he saw, he was 17 years living in uh, uh, Africa, uh, Angola. I don't think it's called Angola anymore. That's where he grew up. And he watched just expository preaching. Explaining the text changed people that you would have bet the farm could never be changed. Absolutely could never be changed. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that? Why? I have seen the word of God change people. Greek philosophy and Greek speculations and lofty things raised up cannot lead you to God. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, I didn't proclaim to you the wisdom of man. I gave you the testimonies of God in the forms of superior speech and human wisdom? No. In simplicity. He came just wanting them to know Christ Jesus and Him crucified. And in that, He had fear and trembling. I determined to know nothing among you, verse 2, except Jesus Christ, Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of spirit and power. So that, verse 5, you've got to get a hold of this, people. This is the greatest tragedy that's in the church. 
Verse 5, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Why? Faith that is rested in the wisdom of men will fall. Verse 6, yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature a wisdom. However, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery that the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Brothers and sisters, it just don't get no simpler than that. That's what he's talking about is knowledge. Paul is telling the Corinthians, he's not here to compete for an oratory contest. I'm not here in a debate system. I'm not here for rhetoric. I'm not here for a new philosophy. I'm not here speaking a mystery that everybody sits around stone trying to understand in the temple of Bacchus. I'm not here for a popularity contest. I am not here to be liked. I am not here to gather a fan club. I'm not here to be the most polished. I am here to preach the straightforward word of the cross. And I am here to smash down the wisdom of the world. And I will do it. With the foolishness of the gospel. How can you not remember that? It's straightforward. It's simple. Verse 8 of that same chapter. The wisdom that none of the rulers of this age has understood. Verse 10. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Even the depths of God. For who among men has known the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Why would I not rely on him? We preach the scripture, the wisdom of God. It is revealed to the spirit of God. Why? He knows the mind of God. Verse 12. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit from who? Who is from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. How does man wisdom fit in that? Okay, now look what 13 says, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Where am I going to get spiritual words? From the Bible. Natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. End of verse 16. But we have the mind of Christ. You ain't going to get that from man's wisdom. The revealing of God. We call it the Bible. Paul is not saying he's an ineffective speaker, please. Okay, if you think about it, Paul was extraordinarily effective. Okay, Paul was extraordinarily powerful. But why? Because he was behind the cross. All they saw was the cross. All they heard was the word of God. All that saw was going on in the power of God. So, yeah, that seems to be effective. And it is definitely powerful. What he is saying is he's not interested in tricks. He's not interested in being clever. Okay? He's not interested in the techniques of human communication. He's not interested in pieces of human philosophy. He's not interested in being creative. He's not... Interested in being culturally relative. That is what's going on. It's killing the church today, people. He's not interested in, to use Paul's terminology, tickling ears. He's not interested in artificial theatrics. He's not interested in words of manipulation. 
He's, what mattered to the Apostle Paul was truth. Simple, straightforward, unadulterated truth. And you know what? He excelled at it. Unskilled in speech, yet not in knowledge. He brought the knowledge of God. I remember a very, very smart man. Okay, excruciatingly smart. Lifted up today as the example of smart. You know him. Albert Einstein. Okay? He is, you look up the word smart and it's got his picture. Here's how smart Einstein was. I can look at creation and know there is a God. But it is impossible to know him. So much for brilliance. So much for brilliance. Yet, Paul's greatest concern was truth. Our text again, in fact, in every way we have made it evident to you in all things. You know that we didn't hold anything back. He was not interested in human wisdom. He was not interested in human techniques. I am not going to take a class on how to use a microphone. I am not going to take a class on how the music can augment the mood. Okay, I ain't going to do it. All right. I am not going to have a, a worship service where we can turn the lights down low and the music up loud. I ain't going to do it. I want truth. And if you want those things, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. He's not interested in a wisdom or a technique that produces the conversion of men drawn to a preacher. He wants truth. And you know what? That's what Paul brought. The false will always bring tricks. They will always be clever. They will be great speakers, orators. They will be charismatic. And they will always have something new that you have never heard before. Why? Because they will seduce you for personal gain at the drop of a hat. I have seen the clever. I have seen the entertainers. And every time that I see the clever and the techniques and the entertainments, I always have the same question. Where is the truth? Paul gave it all. You know what? The Corinthian church were lacking in nothing. They were lacking in no spiritual gift. He said that in 1 Corinthians. And the false didn't have anything to add. Paul may have been unskilled in his speech, but he was not unskilled in his knowledge. In fact, in every way, he made it evident to them. That's what it says at the end of verse 6. In all things, all subjects, he had given the whole counsel of God. I had people, they said, people make fun of me. They said, well, what do you do with the rest of your Bible? And I said, what do you mean, the rest of my Bible? I said, well, you said you've been 10 years in 2 Corinthians. What are you doing with the rest of the Bible? I said, well, I teach more than just Sunday morning. And I said, well, what else have you taught? That's a challenge. Well, I've taught Judges. I've taught Daniel. I've taught Revelations. First and Second Thessalonians. First and Second Timothy. Matthew, Peter, Hebrews. A few other odds and ends. What have I held back? Now, listen, if you ain't here, that ain't my problem. All right? And yet, they sit there going, and I said, well, you just teach on Sunday? Well, yeah. What are you doing with the whole counsel of God? Now, then, if I can do 66 books in 66 weeks, we'll all be sitting back because we're all going to heaven. That Jesus coming on that one. (laughs) But anyway. Paul was clear and simple. He had nothing clever, nothing creative. It was straight truth. Okay, did you understand that in Paul there are no blanks in theology? Do you understand that in Paul there are no holes in your belief system? There's nobody, somebody going to come and show you something. Well, Paul forgot this. 
Acts 20, he brought the Ephesian elders together and he says, Blood of innocent man is not on my hands. Why? I have not forsaken the full counsel of God. That's the true knowledge. That's the eternal knowledge. Corinthians, he says, you have seen it. You know it. It's been contrasted between the false and and me. The temporal, artificial, shallow, human behavior modification techniques. Or the deep, eternal, heavenly, divine, transforming lives, truth of God. How can you take Jeremiah's text where he says, I will remove your heart of stone and put into you a heart of flesh. How do you do that with human wisdom? Paul is telling the Corinthians, do not be disloyal to God. Do not be disloyal to Christ. Do not be disloyal to the gospel. Do not be disloyal to truth. Listen, brothers and sisters, you want to see a pastor's heart? That's it. Drop it over there to verse 28 of chapter 11. Apart from such external things, there's a daily pressure on me as a concern of all the churches. Why? I don't want you to be disloyal to you who I have betrothed you to. I want to keep... You loyal. Listen, this is not administration, people. This is not running around making sure the budget is this, or the carpet is this, or the windows is this, or the building is painted this, or the light bulbs have been changed, or who's taking out the trash. That is not what it's about. There was a concern for the churches. Why? To keep their loyalty, to engage them and keep them pure to the wedding ceremony. That's what it's about. Not here to preach for applause. There's too much preaching for applause right now. It's emotional manipulation. There's something clever being said. I've heard it. I've seen it. I listened to it. I got a guy give me a sermon. This is the most powerful sermon you've ever heard. And all it was was a stand-up comedian. And I'm sitting there going, what is that? Well, this is a testimony. It's a testimony. It's a guy talking about himself. When the preacher brings the people... Let's think about this for a second. When the preacher brings the people face to face to the reality of the living God, I'm not sure there's going to be a lot of applause. Right? Paul was clear. He says, I brought you the knowledge... In every way, and you know it. Why? It was evident in all things. You had a clear insight into what truth is. And yet, like Eve, the seduction and cleverness of the serpent is leading him away. Brothers and sisters, this is the challenge of caring for the church. Because I take comfort because is there any better pastor than the Apostle Paul? Right? And yet, here they are. Is there any better doctrinal foundation than the Apostle Paul? And yet he still had to fight for the loyalty of the congregation. Gone for a little while. What happened? Seducers all just creep in. With their cleverness. Listen. It's all around you right now. Every single one of you. Okay. The seducers are there. Listen. Books. Radio. Internet. Television. It is all over the place. And they're all brilliant. Ask them. Okay. They are. I mean. Think about it. We got climate change. The Bible calls it fall, winter, spring, and summer. Good Lord, what was that all about? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? But look, look how smart we are. How smart we are. Listen, in 1972, they told me that we were going to have an ice age. And I get unleaded gas and catalytic converters. And now we're going to burn up. Well, make up your mind. Can I go back to leaded gas and get rid of my catalytic converter? 
I would like to see high compression motors again. They were fun. I mean, we're all going to die in an ice age. Let's do it fast. Listen, I cannot even count the number of times I have seen in just Castle Rock Baptist Church where the people walk away. For a greater speaker, more polished whatever. And you know what I have seen? The harder you try to pull them back, the more they seem to blame me as the enemy. That's what the Apostle Paul. Let me tell you something. In case you didn't know it, sheep wander. Okay? Jesus said it. Uh, I've seen it. Okay? The call, brothers and sisters, is loyalty. Loyalty. False are everywhere. And you know what? They will try to make you disloyal to your God, to your Christ, to your gospel, and to your truth. That's their goal. Alright? John Calvin, I will close with his quote. Speaking of devotion to Christ. Quote, Purity of devotion is the subject of Christ Jesus. Unquote. Some of us went down and seen... David Olford this weekend. And uh, I had the privilege of spending lots of time, uh, a lot of time with Stephen Olford before he stepped into eternity. A uh, very precious man. And um, they, they've got some DVDs of him preaching. He's, he's got a handful of powerful, powerful messages. But anyway. They start off his DVD with his verse. What He called it his life verse. Okay, I want you to think about it. Because I've just spoke to you the last, what, six weeks on a servant's loyalty. Okay? And I give it to you in four points. Loyalty to God, loyalty to Christ, loyalty to the gospel, and loyalty to the truth. Okay? But I'm going to give it to you from Dr. Olford's verse. Or... Apostle Paul's writing to the Galatians. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Okay? I just spoke for an hour, and all I had to say was, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Back to simplicity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. And Father, thank you for the amazing things you do. Father, may we be overwhelmed with the privilege of being called children of the Most High God. And may we cherish the fact that we have been betrothed to Christ Jesus. Father, may it be the passion and longing of our hearts to be in that wedding service. And may that be the place that we are looking forward to. And Father, may we be busy about our Father's work till that day that our faith becomes sight. Father, may our love for you grow with every breath you grace us until that day of our completion is done. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being a child of God. Thank you for the privilege of being in your church. And thank you for the power and the authority of your scripture. And Father, thank you that we are joint heirs with Jesus. To my King, to my Lord, to my Savior. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.